Well, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, if you're using the the Black Church Bibles, that can be found on page 831. For two chapters now, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus has been teaching about his return and the final judgment that will immediately accompany his return. And Jesus has taught these these truths, not so that we would try to calculate the date of his return. He's made it very clear that that's futile. No one can do that. But he's been teaching us these things so that we would be ready for his return. That's been the the consistent theme, right? Jesus is coming again. Be ready. Don't be caught like the the, the young women without oil in their lamp. Don't be caught like the, the wicked servant that wasn't ready for his master to come home. Be ready. And in our text today, Jesus uses the metaphor of sheep and goats to describe two kinds of people. And I know that in this chapter we've seen some parables, but, but I don't really think this is a parable. Nowhere does the text say that this is a parable. And the only reason I point that out is just to say, I think this, you know, parables teach a truth, a, a, a central truth. But I, I take this passage that we're going to consider this morning as a, more like a, just a description of, of what will take place on Judgment Day. A, a description of what it will be like when Christ returns and using certainly this metaphor of sheep and goats to describe that for us. And so let's, let's consider the text together first by reading it. Will you stand please in honor of God's word? Our, our passage today is verses, Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46. So please follow along as I, as I read that. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come! You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Thanks be to God for his word. May his spirit give us understanding today. Please be seated. Who is the most important, the most powerful person you've ever met? Think about that. Who's the most important or powerful person you've ever met? Maybe it was some politician, maybe it was some uh, star of entertainment or sports. Do you remember what that was like? Maybe you were a little uh, starstruck or whatever. Well, the title of the sermon is Standing Before King Jesus. Standing Before King Jesus. One day, every one of us will come before the Lord Jesus Christ to be judged by him. That's the picture we have in this passage, a judgment scene. And Christ's judgment will be final, and it will have eternal consequences for us. Our passage takes us to that day of final judgment, and by studying it today, again, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in your heart so that it will go well for you on that day. That day is coming. We will all stand before him. You and I will stand before him, and I pray it will go well for you on that day when you stand before King Jesus. This morning, I want to move through the text under five headings. If you want to take notes, the, the, the way it's broken down, at least the scriptures are, you see the outline in your bulletin, you can fill in the headings, they're very short and simple. Heading number one, glorious return. Glorious return, look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. There it is, glory, two times in one verse, right? His glorious return. Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Right? When we talk about His return, I always like to kind of back up and say, well, what do we mean His return? Well, let's talk about how He came the first time, right? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to earth the first time humbly, being born a helpless babe to the Virgin Mary. And then after living a sinless life for 33 years, Jesus willingly laid down his life on the cross as a substitute for his people. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. And and 40 days after that, he ascended to the Father's right hand in heaven. And so that's where Jesus is now. He's at the Father's right hand, ruling from his heavenly throne And the Bible says that he is coming again. Right? We sang that song. He is coming again. He is coming again in power and great glory. That's what this verse says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Think about that. His second coming is going to be very different than his first. While his first coming was marked by humility... Verse 31 says that at his return he will come in his glory. Glory is the manifestation of his holiness, the manifestation of his otherness. The splendor and majesty of who Christ is on that day. 
Let me back up. On that day, the splendor and majesty of who Christ is will be visible to all. Revelation 1.7 says that Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Think about that. Again, the first time he came, he came in relative obscurity, right? There were, there were some angels that appeared to select people, shepherds and such, but relative obscurity. But at his return, every eye will see him. His return will not be a secret coming Every eye will see the risen Lord Jesus Christ return in power and great glory. They will see Jesus as he truly is. Fully man, fully God, glorified. Son of God, risen Lord, to whom all authority has been given. On that day, there will be no doubt as to who Jesus is. Right? A lot of people now don't believe in Jesus or they, they argue about who he really is, you know. On that day, there'll be no doubt. That's why it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When he comes in his glory, game over. <laughs> Debate over, right? But as we've said many times through this topic about his return... It's too late once he returns to, you need to be on his side now. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this text. Notice Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. He's done that often in the Gospel of Matthew. Whenever you hear that title, our minds should go back to Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 which gives the prophetic vision of God the Father, there described as the Ancient of Days, God the Father giving to an individual called the Son of Man all authority to rule and to judge the nations. And so that's who Jesus is, and that's why he often referred to himself as the Son of Man. He is that one to whom all authority has been given to rule and to judge, and that's exactly what he's doing in this passage. That's what he'll be doing on the last day, judging When Jesus returns, verse 31 says, all the angels will be with him. Again, try to picture what that is like. Because you think about in Scripture, there's a few times when when someone will encounter an angel, right? Maybe two, oftentimes just one. What happens when they usually encounter an angel? They fall on their face, don't they? Because even the angel, even an angel is a created being, even the angel is, is, is glorious and powerful. And so they're on their feet, uh, face, oftentimes trying to worship the angel. And the angel's like, no, 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 don't worship me, right? So imagine what it's going to be like for Jesus to come with all his angels. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 describes Christ's return as, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That was 2 Thessalonians 1.7. How awesome that's going to be. The Lord Jesus Christ will return with his angelic army and he will sit on his glorious throne, verse 31 says. Right? Having defeated all his enemies once and for all, Jesus sits on his throne in a place of of absolute victory and absolute authority. Which leads us to our second heading then. 
Heading number two is total gathering. Total gathering. Look at verse 32 now. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Nations means peoples, right? Every person who has ever lived will be brought to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to be judged. Even those who've died will be raised in order to stand before him for this final judgment. Think about that, right? Think about what that would look like. Every person who's ever lived is now standing before Jesus, seated on his glorious throne. Now, again, we're talking about judging here, right? That's why they've gathered. That's why they've been summoned, is to be judged. The Bible says that because Jesus defeated sin and death by dying on the cross and rising again, that God the Father has given to Jesus all authority to be the final judge. The Bible makes that connection. Because, he's, because of his resurrection, he's the judge. The Apostle Paul preached this way, Acts 17, 31, right? When he's preaching there to the men of Athens and starts with the unknown grave, let me, whom you worship is unknown, let me make known to you, right? Toward the end of that sermon, he says in, that, in verse 31 of Acts 17, because he has fixed a day on which he, he's talking still about God, the Father, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul says, God's going to judge everybody by Jesus. The Apostle Peter preached the same way, again in Acts Chapter 10 now, verse 39, talking about Jesus, he says, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42 of Acts 10, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You ever heard that expression? The judge of the living and the dead. It's used several times in scripture talking about Jesus. Jesus himself said after his resurrection in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that's what's happening here now in Matthew 25. And I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom before right have you ever been in a courtroom and stood before a judge you know and it's kind of intimidating right you know depending on how it's set up Um, they're usually seated higher than you right or whatever but imagine what this is going to be like imagine the fear and the awe of standing before the ultimate judge the lord jesus christ seated on his glorious throne Again, just picture that. I mean, how tall is this throne going to be? These are things I was thinking about this week as I tried to meditate on this passage. How tall is that going to be? What kind of light, what kind of glory is going to be shining forth from Christ as he's seated on his throne? What a scene this will be. As the Lord Jesus Christ sits exalted upon his throne with this incredible mass of humanity gathered before him. 
all the people from all time standing before and underneath Jesus on his glorious throne and court is now in session. Third heading then. We've had glorious return. We've had total gathering. Now thirdly, great separation. Great separation. We're still in verse 32. People have all been gathered, one big group, right? Now it says, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. In their region, it was common for sheep and goats to to graze together during the day in flocks. Right? But then during the night, the shepherds would, have to, would separate the sheep from the goats because um, the goats couldn't handle the cold as well as the, as the sheep could. So I guess they tried to stick them someplace where it was a little warmer. I don't know. But they separated them. So Jesus uses that common practice of the day to illustrate what's going to take place at the final judgment And, of course, it fits the metaphor that Christians are called sheep, right? He is the great shepherd. We are his sheep. And there's tons of truths that go along with that, right, about how helpless and stubborn and dumb we are, how much we depend on him for everything. But, again, just picture what this separation is like. All the people are gathered together, and now Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the judge, starts separating you over here, you over here. And as we've read, even in the Olivet Discourse, you know, I mean, I don't know if families would be standing together there, but I mean, if they were, some, some members of the family, you go over here, some members of the family, you go over here. Right? All the peoples have been gathered together before Christ seated on his throne, and now he's dividing all of humanity into two groups which he calls the sheep and the goats. The sheep are grouped together on his right. The goats are placed on his left. So again, we see the authority of Christ on display. He's the one who gets to decide where you go. He's the one who makes the the decree what group you are in. (laughs) All humanity into two groups. There are no stragglers. There's no third group. There's no someone saying, no, I, I, I don't want to be in that group. I'm over here. No, it's you're there and you're there. Authority. And again, I hope you're applying this to yourself. Every person, every one of us, will be placed in one of these two groups. You say, well, what's the difference? Right? What, what, does it matter what group you're placed in, sheep or goats? Yes. Yes, we're, we're going to see right now it matters a great deal which group you are in. Because what group you're in points to your final destination. And that's our fourth heading. Final destination. And with heading four and five, I'm gonna, we're going to... Do them twice, right? First, we're going to, because that's the way the passage is. We're going to first do those headings considering the sheep, and then we'll come back and do it considering the goats, okay? So heading number four, final destination. Look at verse 34. 
right? They've been separated. So now the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the sheep are told to come, come receive Christ's eternal kingdom. They are welcomed into the glorious kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will spend eternity with Jesus and with all the saints in the new heavens and the new earth. A place that Revelation 21 says where death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what he's saying. Come, enjoy this kingdom. Inherit this kingdom. That's their destination. They will forever enjoy the glorious presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And they'll enjoy the presence of God as they worship Him with all their brothers and sisters in Christ in a place of perfect peace and joy. That's their destination. And you say, well, how did they end up in such a place like that? How is it that they have such an amazing, priceless inheritance well we know the bible says very clearly it's because of god's grace it's because of god's grace because of his unmerited favor they don't deserve that that kingdom they don't deserve that inheritance it's because of god's grace and again this is said explicitly in scripture but we see it implied here even in this passage Notice how he addressed them. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. This is because of the Father's grace. This is because they've been graciously united to Christ through faith. Because when we talk about inheritance, we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the heir. Right? Jesus Christ is the perfect, obedient Son So the the glorious new heavens and new earth belong to to Christ. He earned it by being a faithful and obedient son to his father, even to the point of, of death on a cross. He was obedient. And so he is the ultimate heir. And then the Bible says that through faith in Christ, we become co heirs with him, Romans 8 17 says. We become co heirs with Christ. He graciously shares his inheritance with us. Even though he's the one who lived a perfect life. And he's the one who who, uh, died a sacrificial death. But yet he shares the, the fruit of all that with us. Amazing grace. And so that's how they can receive this kingdom. That's that's how they can inherit this kingdom, because they're united to Christ. And notice what else he says, the way he describes it. He says, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That shows this is grace too, doesn't it? God had planned to give them this kingdom all along. And again, we we read in the Bible, places like Ephesians 1, it says, Before the foundation of the world, God chose them and gave them to Christ in order for him to redeem them on the cross. And and again, before the foundation of the world, God purposed to save them then at the proper time through the new birth 
by the Holy Spirit. All of this has been in God's gracious plan all along. So Christ, the Father chose them, gave them to Christ. Christ died for them, rose again. Then at some point in their life, the Holy Spirit intersected their life. The word of God came into their life and the spirit gave the new birth, opened their eyes, gave them faith to see that they're a sinner who needs a savior, gave them the eyes of faith to see that Jesus is that savior. And so having heard the gospel and having been given new life, they embraced Jesus as Lord and savior. That's the sheep. And it's all because of God's grace. God's grace has been lavished on them. And his grace has made a noticeable difference in their lives. Again, because of his grace, that's why they believe. That's why they followed Christ. Not perfectly, certainly, but that's why they followed him all all their life. And God's grace has made a noticeable difference in their lives and how they treat others. And that's where Jesus goes next. And this is heading five. Tangible evidence. Tangible evidence. Remember, he's, he's just told them, hey, come, receive this kingdom that's been prepared for you. Inherit it. Why? For I was hungry, verse 35, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? And, and we see their reaction, right? They're, they're surprised. Not, not that he's welcomed them into their kingdom. I mean, that's by God's grace. But they're surprised saying, Jesus, wait a minute. When did we do those things for you? Verse 37, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Jesus, you've been up in heaven on your throne. How did we do that to you? Verse 40, the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So how do we know that the sheep are truly sheep? How do we know that they are truly Christians who've been born again by God's grace? How do we know that they have truly embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior? Well, King Jesus points to the fruit in their lives. Specifically, Jesus points to ways... The Christians have ministered to fellow believers whom he calls least of my brothers in verse 40. Sometimes there's a little confusion in interpreting this. Like, you know, is this talking about going out and ministering to all the poor and and all the, the needy? Which is not a bad thing to do, right? And that's something certainly Christians should be doing. But that's not specifically what he's talking about here. He's talking about believers, the least of my brothers. Back in Matthew 12, 49, that's how Jesus referred to Christians. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Pointing to those who were gathered around, who were following him, listening to his teaching. For whoever does the will of my father, Matthew 12, 50. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
So he's specifically talking about the way they loved others, other believers, especially other believers in need, right? Again, in Matthew, he's talked about, you know, my little ones, my weak ones, whether that be new believers or hurting believers or vulnerable believers, whatever. So Jesus says the fact, like he's talking to the sheep, right? The fact that you showed love in tangible ways to fellow believers in need is proof that it's evidence that you belong to me. It's proof that you have the Holy Spirit. It's proof that God has saved you by his grace. So I hope that's making sense. We know that's what the Bible teaches, right? At first glance, we, it could look like the sheep are being saved by their works. But that's, we know that's not true. The Bible says no. We are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that. Romans 3 talks about that. But as you go through those alones... Christians have often pointed out, yes, we're saved by God's grace alone, but God's grace is never alone. Meaning, when God's grace has, has um, given you the new birth, when God's grace has come upon your life, it produces a change. And this is what we really need to hear, loved ones. When a birth has taken place, right? That's the way the Bible describes salvation. A new birth, right? No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again, Jesus told Nicodemus. When a new birth has taken place, there are signs of life. The baby is crying. The baby is hungry. The baby is, you know, moving around. There's signs of life. Likewise, God's grace produces a noticeable change in a person's life. Salvation should produce a noticeable change in a person's life, more so than just a confession. That's part of it, but more so than just a confession. An ongoing change in your life and in your actions. The book of 1 John says that those who are truly Christians will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let me, let me pause here. If you read the book of 1 John, it gives about three tests or three examples of, of fruit in a believer's life. In other words, here's three evidences that you are truly a Christian. Number one, you will confess that Jesus is Lord. You'll believe that. You'll embrace him. Second, you will not continue in unrepentant sin. That's what he says in 1 John 3. You will not make a practice of sinning. Yes, you're going to battle sin, and the flesh and the spirit war against each other, but if you have the spirit, when you sin, you'll be convicted, and, and, and God will lead you to repentance, and you will do all you can in, in the power of God's grace to grow and resist that sin. And then the third test that John gives, or the third mark, the Apostle John gives in the book of 1 John is, you will love your fellow believers. And that's what we heard Todd read this morning, right, in our scripture reading. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right? And this is what Jesus is pointing to here in Matthew 25. 
the fact that the sheep gave evidence of God's grace in their lives by loving and serving fellow believers. By the way, it's kind of cool in this passage, isn't it, that um, it's cool the way they're surprised, right? Jesus, when, when, when did we do this for you? And, and that's one of the neat teachings about this passage is that how closely Jesus associates with his people. That by them serving others, they were, they were in fact serving Jesus. And the example I always think of is, is in, on the Damascus Road in Acts 9 when Saul is, is headed toward Damascus to persecute Christians. And, and the risen Lord Jesus Christ meets him and saves him. One of the first things he says to him is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's how closely Christ associates with his people. When his people are persecuted, it's like you're persecuting Christ. The positive example of that is here in Matthew 25. When you serve his people, you are serving Christ. So let that be an encouragement to you, believers. Wives, when, you're, when you submit to and serve your husbands, you are serving Christ. And those passages say that, right? When all believers, when we submit to the governing authorities over us, we're submitting to Christ. Back to believers, though, loving others. When you teach Sunday school, you are serving Christ. As many of you did yesterday, when you, when you help others move, right, you are serving Christ. When you make meals and visit those in need, you are serving Christ. When you pray for one another, you are serving Christ ultimately. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. So that's the sheep. That's, their, that's what's happened to, the, to them. Thanks to God's amazing grace, they've been transformed. They've been given the new birth. It's been evidenced. And now they're being welcomed into Christ's eternal kingdom of joy and peace. But that leaves us the group on the left. And I'll, I'll try to cover them quickly. We see that they're sent to a very different destination. Again, we go back to heading four. Final destination for them is seen in verse 41. Then he, Jesus, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow. Whereas the sheep were invited to come be with Jesus forever, here Jesus tells the goats, Depart from me. Instead of being with Jesus and his glorious kingdom, the goats are sent into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the place the Bible calls hell. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place of eternal fire. A place of everlasting punishment. A place prepared for the devil and his angels who rebelled against God. This is a place for the wicked. Again, this is a place of never-ending punishment. A suitable destination for the goats who, the, who also have rebelled against God. Against Almighty God, against precious Lord Jesus. Like all humans, they have sinned against the loving rule of God, their Creator. But unlike the sheep, the goats never trusted in Christ as their Savior, and therefore they remained in their sins. 
Though God sent his son to be the Savior and Lord, the goats never turned to Christ in repentance and faith. They never bowed the knee to Jesus. They never embraced him as Lord and Savior. They never trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins. They never committed to him to follow him as their Lord. And again, the tangible evidence of this sad reality then is seen in their lives. And that's verse 42 and on for heading 5. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. They answer a similar way. Verse 44. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, verse 45, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The goats did not show love to Christ or his people. And so the absence of fruit in their lives points to the fact that they are still dead in their sins. They are not born again. They are not united to Christ in faith. Now, we need, to, we need to understand this and think about the whole chapter that we've been studying. The goats hung around the sheep. But they were not true Christians. And that's been a common theme that we've seen in, in these different teachings, haven't we? There's a mixture, and then there's a, a separation and often a surprise. The goats hung around the sheep, but they were not true, true Christians. Perhaps they went to church. They probably considered themselves religious. But they did not belong to Christ. They fooled others. They maybe even fooled themselves. But Jesus knows those who are his. And on that last day, they will be separated from the true people of God, and they will be numbered among the wicked, having never truly embraced and followed Christ as Lord, they will then be eternally separated from him in hell. And again, back to the whole judgment and courtroom um, theme here. This verdict is final. There's no mistrials, there's no appeals, there's no arguments. The judgment is given and that's it. Christ's verdict will be final and it will be binding. And then Jesus sums it up in 40, verse 46. And these, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, to wrap up here, as we consider this passage, loved ones, let us examine ourselves. Let us examine ourselves. Is there fruit in my life? And so, believers, as you serve in dependence on God's strength, as you serve out of true love for others, as you serve for the glory of God, be encouraged. You are giving evidence that you belong to Christ. And so if this describes you, again, not that we do any of those things perfectly. We know everything we do is tainted by sin and that. But if that describes you, then praise God. Hold fast your confession about Christ. Keep following Christ by the grace of God. Continue serving him as you, as you long for his return. However, 
as you examine yourself, if you look at your life and you don't see fruit of the Spirit, then you need to be concerned, very concerned. Maybe there's lip service to Christ, but there's no love for Christ or his people. Maybe there's church attendance, but there's no cherishing of Christ. There's no cherishing of of Christians, of Christ's people. Maybe there's religious ritual, but there's no real fruit of the Spirit in your life. Oh, friend, if that describes you, then beware. Beware. You are likely not a Christian. You're hanging around sheep, but you yourself are not truly born again, and one day you will be separated from Christ's people and cast into hell forever, if that describes you. How tragic that would be. But that doesn't need to be your fate today. There is still time to repent. Praise God, he is patient, and Christ has not returned yet. So cry out to God in faith today. Say, Lord, save me through Jesus Christ. Change me. Come live in me and through me. You can do that right now where you are. And if we can be a help to you with that, then please see us after the service. One day, we will all stand before King Jesus seated on his glorious throne. And I close with this. Think about what that day is going to be like. Think about standing before King Jesus on his glorious throne. And as you think about that, let me ask you a question. Will you hear Jesus say, come, be with me forever in my perfect kingdom? Or will you hear Depart from me. You are cursed into hell forever. Come or depart. Every one of us will hear one of those words. And may you not go another day until you know that Christ is your Savior and that you are ready to meet him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus so clearly telling us what the future holds. We praise you for your grace. We know none of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve to be with you forever in your kingdom. But we praise you for your grace and and the work of Christ. So, Lord, thank you for many whom you've called to yourself and Lord, may your people be encouraged today. May, may your sheep just, may, uh, may they be um, so encouraged as they think about what the future holds for them. What it'll be like to see you and that there's no fear because of your love. Because we know we, in Christ, though we are sinners, we stand justified, declared righteous. And so I pray you would encourage your people. I pray you'd encourage them as they see the fruit in their lives. Lord, I thank you for the fruit I see in 
and so many here. And Lord, we, uh, we certainly ask for, for grace to, to know you more, to abide in you more, that we would bear more fruit. Lord, please continue that work of sanctification in us. But Lord, if there's any here today who don't know you, and again, the, the weight of this, of this chapter again and again is those who are self-deceived. Lord, those who think they're right with you just because they kind of, they come to church and do the church thing or they, oh God, please convict them now. Only you can change their heart. Lord, show them that they, there isn't love for Christ and his people. Show them that they don't, they don't really long for you or your kingdom. And Lord, as you show them, may you change them. May you give them the new birth. May you open their eyes to see who Christ is. And may they see him as precious and glorious and as their ultimate treasure. And may they embrace him and follow him by the strength that you, you provide. We pray all this for the glory of your name and the furtherance of your kingdom. Amen. Yeah, will you stand please and we'll conclude with a song of worship and benediction. <clears throat>